Good morning. Good to be here with you all. Um, for those I haven't met, my name is Sarah, and my Dharma name is Dojin, which means path of love. And I use the pronouns she and her, mostly. And um, welcome. I want to... Um, I want to express something as a as a a person who's been lucky enough to um, encounter the Dharma. I think is where I'm coming from, <clears throat> which is whenever we make it to a Zen center in this world of suffering, it's like a great thing. It's like a it's a it's a karmic act. I mean. It's, so is going to the grocery store, but it's a it's a kind of karmic act that we want to. I want to um, support, and um, yeah. So there's a feeling, and I've been sharing this with some of the folks at the, <clears throat> the on the in the city staff of like, if people get through like cultural conditioning, conditioned cynicism traffic, subway delays, <laughs> if they get to that, if they get to the Clinton street and then they somehow like make it all the way into the building and up the stairs, which is itself kind of a journey. What I want is for them to find a place where people are like, come on in. <laughs> We're so glad you're here. And at the same time, you know, I, I, people, have said, well, you know, once when we have the when we have sashines, we try to keep it the container. And I, I love containers. I do, I do. I love boundaries. I see the benefit. And there's just in, but in my deepest heart in the Dharma, I feel like when people make it here, please, like let's warmly embrace. And let's do that for ourselves, even if we've come a thousand times, you know. Let's appreciate that we got here and that that is like not a small thing. This culture offers many other possibilities and it is a miracle, I think. And, and actually, cosmologically, I'd say it's good karma. <laughs> it's lucky, it's fortunate that we can encounter the Dharma. And, and the more we do that, the more it makes sense, like open the doors for anybody who wants to walk through. So I, I would like to lift up our practice period theme and the, and looking at um, the Genjo Koan and and also talk about uh, heartbreak. There's a lot of parts of the Genjo Koan that just I treasure, um, and one that I want to speak about in particularly today is the 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 idea, the image, and the the passage, the whole moon and the entire sky are reflected in dewdrops on the, on the grass or even in one drop of water. And, and Dogen goes on and on with that imagery. The moon doesn't break the water, you know, and the, the size of the puddle does not hinder the vastness of the sky. And yet the whole universe the image is not just the sky, but like everything is is reflected in something as small as a dewdrop if we're paying close enough attention. 
and um, and and that that's like not a problem. <laughs> the you know the the moon is not too big; it doesn't break the water, and the and the size of the dewdrop does not limit the vastness. And to me, this is a teaching about the non-duality of, of particularity and vastness. One of the things that can happen for us as sentient beings is that we can think that the particulars of our life are too small to um, be relevant or, or to be enough. <laughs> in terms of saving all beings. But what I want to offer is they're not. In fact, it's like right here in the smallest of details that we learn, that we train how to save all, how we are saving all beings, how we are freeing ourselves and all beings. And I want to talk about maybe some a little bit of the lived experience of that. In the beginning of Genjo Khan, um, Dogen also, he, he lifts up that duality of Buddhas and sentient beings. You know, um, sentient beings are greatly deluded about realization. Buddhas are beings that are, that thoroughly understand delusion. They're in delusion throughout delusion. And then he also says, when Buddhas are truly Buddhas, they don't necessarily notice that they are Buddhas. However, they are actualized Buddhas who go on actualizing Buddhas. And what I wanted to offer about that is that um, Buddhas and sentient beings are not a duality. Or here's a frame to try on. That sentient being represents a way of looking at the world that comes from, you know, and as he says, to carry yourself forward and experience myriad things. When I think I'm separate and I move through the world that way, I'm occupying sentient being location and mind. Every once in a while, when I like trip on a Buddha field and suddenly I and all things are arising, I am occupying Buddha mind. And, and so the way that these things are not opposed to each other or they're not separate is like, you never know. And, and actually, I want to, I don't know if I've particularly heard anybody else say this, but I want to offer and see what you think about the idea of like, Buddhas are not a fixed state. But we can, we can, we are Buddhas sometimes. Sometimes we are that. We bring, actually, I, I have thought this before on Buddha's birthday. I'm like, yeah, every, every moment is a chance that we might birth a Buddha into the world as ourselves. <laughs> and what that, and when that happens, it's usually because we have, we've softened the delusion of being separate. So we're allowing all things to come forward. So, when we listen to Genjo Khan and we, and we chant it, we might try on like, oh, when are the times in my life that I'm Buddha-ish? And I'm <laughs> occupying, <laughs> or Buddha, that sounds a little corny. I was going to say Buddha full, but I don't mean it. <laughs> in that very corny way. So in terms of a lived experience, it, around, you know, both being Buddhas and sentient beings and also around particularity and vastness. I wanted to share my experience over this past week. So my heart is always 
you know, there's a good portion of my heart that's always aching. And I, and I'm fine with this. (laughs) Truthfully, I feel like I've earned this, like there's been a lot of loss and pain and, and I love this world and I, and it's a painful place to be. So I'm, I'm okay with that. So there's like the baseline ache. And then I was really, um, I feel like there were different different parts of my life going all the way back into my childhood, actually. I've been aware of, of the pain in Israel and Palestine. I can remember being even like a, like a young, like a grade school child and being like, I don't understand why anyone thought that like oppressing some people would fix the pain of having people been oppressed in the Holocaust. And that was, you know, that's a, that was a sort of simplified version of things, but wasn't bad for a little kid. <laughs> and and um, it was an interesting moment for me because my my parents who were not political, particularly, like I was this political child, in a somewhat apolitical household. Um, I, I happened upon a, a strain of my mother who is Catholic. My parents were raised Catholic and they're from, my mom's parents are from Canada and Newfoundland. My mom was, had this like thing about Israel and I don't know what it was, where she got it actually. But somehow she had this deep feeling of like the homeland. And I was like, wow, I didn't know that that was something you felt. Um, there were actually more people in my life who were Jewish than hers, but it was interesting. And right there, I think I, I can remember that moment. I was probably in like fourth grade. I was like, this is this is charged. Um, this is complicated. So I, since, since these like horrific acts of violence that have been happening in the past few weeks, and they are all around, like I, this, that's not even political to say, that's just human. Um, my heartache level has been acutely amplified. And, but somewhat abstract. Um, I know people that know people who are there, but I don't, there's not someone I'm personally thinking of, even though many people in my life have personal people in, in Ramallah, in Gaza, in Tel Aviv, in Jerusalem. Um, and then as Charlie mentioned yesterday, we, we learned on Monday that this, this young man, I want to say boy, he's a big person. Um, but he was he was 20 years old, uh, who was a dear, he was our dear friend of our daughters and her boyfriend for five of her 20 years, which so is a big deal, uh, that he died on Monday. I'm okay. Cry when I say that. Not, not to elicit uh, worry, but just because it's so painful. And you know what? I'm, and I'm going to cry because it's particular. This is this beautiful child, actually. You know, um, who I really wish was still here. I really don't want him to be dead. And then, and so that I'm having this actual embodied experience of the pain of of this young person dying. Um, reminding me in my body, like, what does this feel like when a young person dies? Like, this is what it feels like. And 
hundreds of people that know him are all on some different levels and his parents are you know just devastated and his brother who was supposed to protect him and and um and so that's one child right and then and now i have this doorway i'm rem now i remember all oh, right so this is happening to thousands of people in a concentrated place and it is this painful for every single person you know i think so this is why I think in the Dharma, like it is our job to feel our pain fully. So we don't, so that when someone says 20 people were killed, we're not, that doesn't, that's like a, not a number. And it's not like a, it's not undigestible. It's just really heavy because for each one of those precious beings, there is this level of reverberation and sorrow and heartache. Fifty percent of the um, population in Gaza is under nineteen years old. Do people have is that familiar to people? Seventy percent under thirty. Two percent is over sixty-five. Like it's a very so like that that this region in the world is exceptionally young, you know. Which and then actually I think it was my therapist was like, and then there's all the young people that were going to play in the desert you know they were going to dance and party and and then they were slaughtered Ugh. yesterday in his talk charlie mentioned this koan i've heard a lot of times about um Shan and elder de so these are people in our lineage from china a long time ago, like I think eighth century. And the teacher, Saoshan, says, the Buddha's true reality body is like space. So here's this image again. The true, the true body of a Buddha is vast beyond our knowing. And it manifests in the world in response to beings. Part of the cosmology in Buddhism is that a Buddha is born into the world when when it's needed. So again, when, you know, we might find ourselves being Buddhas because that was needed. It manifests its form in, in response to beings like the, like the moon in the water. This is maybe where Dogen gets this image hundreds of years later. And Saoshan says to his senior student, how do you explain this principle of response? And Elder Duh says, it's like a donkey looking into a well. I've heard that a lot of times. I was always like, okay. <laughs> I actually thought there's probably some, there's probably like a bunch of like, they're probably Chinese stories that make this make sense to people, <laughs> but I don't know. But I was like, oh, you know, you're like, it's like a, it's like a, a donkey looking in a well, you know, and seeing its own reflection. And then, and then, the teacher, Sao Shang, says that you've said 80%, pretty good. <laughs> um, and then Elder Duh says, well, what would you say, teacher? And he says, it's the well looking back at the donkey. And yesterday when Charlie said that, because I've heard it a number of times too, and I, some, I think it, somehow it's in me, 
this physical thing happened in me. It sounds a little trippy, but I feel I'm going to trust you all <laughs> with my trippiness. I had a sensation of like all the sorrow in the world turning and looking at me and like claiming me and my body and my heartache belonging to all the sorrow that's ever been and is now. And, um, and the feeling I had was nothing's wrong. I don't even want to say that actually. I was, I want it to be wrong when children die. But it isn't actually in in a certain sense it is. It totally is and we need to like all work on the ways that it is. And it also isn't because we're mortal because that's what we are. Um and that doesn't and even in that like okayness it doesn't make it less tragic. And um, heartbreak and sorrow and like be and like feeling sick to my stomach a lot and not being able to sleep very well. This is all, this is also, this is appropriate response. Let, let it in, you know, be torn up by the devastation of this situation. That the, this teaching actually of young people um, having a right to die, actually, which is that phrase I heard from, um, I have a, a dear friend who at the same time in our young, in our early 20s, in our young adult life where I started going into Buddhism, she was claiming um, Orthodox Judaism. So we, and we both went in and we both kind of went deep. <laughs> I went to the monastery and she went to Israel and she has five children and lives um, in, in, as an Orthodox Jew. And um, I was at the birth of her uh, first child, Yonim. And then because our lives had separated, um, we, I hadn't seen them much. I came soon after her second child was born, her daughter. I like, hadn't even met some of her younger children. And then um, every July around Yonim's birthday, I would think about him. I remember his birth. And this is such a gift to be there when someone comes in, you know. I felt very connected to him, even though I hadn't spent a lot of time with him. The day before his 21st birthday, he drowned in an, a drowning accident high in the Sierras, and he died. And his mom emailed me, Yonim is dead. And I was like, no, <laughs> no, no. Um, and then she told me about, and I wish I, I, I should have asked her to tell me the name. I, I didn't know it was going to come up. Um, maybe I'll find the name of this person. There was a um, this guy who, I don't remember if he was Jewish himself, but he was like a he was like a child psychologist in the early in the day in the years before the Holocaust, and he worked with 
children, and he worked particularly kids who were Jewish, and he actually and he ended up going with kids that he worked with to the concentration camp and dying there with them. Um, and, but he was a philosopher about, about children, about children's psychology. And this is like in the 30s, you know, 40s. One of the things he, he, that she read that he said was that one of the things, if we want to love children fully, we have to understand that they have a right to die. And it was super meaningful to her as a parent of a child who died. And for me, too, I, I also am a parent of an infant who died. So it's a different story, but it's resonant. And I think about it a lot. And I think about how how we all want to, like, I want to deflect from that. And I also feel like this person offered a gift in saying that. Because um, if we can't see that children are mortal, we can't see them all the way. We can't love them fully, you know. And if we can't see that... Um, like Charlie was saying yesterday, like if they don't make it into a thriving adulthood, that that's okay, then we can't love them fully. You know, some people are not here for long. Like, and it's awful and it's tragic and it's also, it's, it's also okay. Or we can love that reality As I we've been thinking about this over the last couple of days, I was like, oh my God, my whole, I feel like my whole adult life has been punctuated with this, these experiences over and over again of people leaving what felt like leaving too soon, dying too soon, too soon, too soon. Um, for me, the first person that had that feeling was my mom when I, I was in my early 20s. She died when she was 47. And and the the main she died of cancer. So she knew she was going to die, sort of, although she was really not okay with it. And the not, and the like running out of time and too soon, too soon. Um, like, so there's just the tragedy of her death, but then on top of it was the tragedy of the lack of alignment with this being reality, you know, that for me is quite painful. And then my, uh, we had a daughter, Sati, who was here for a day. And I, and I know I've talked about her before. She would be 16. Um, but she, that was a big teaching in my life, the, the day of her life, or the, of her embodied life, I should say. Um, something was very present for me that day of like, there's nothing wrong. It's just not what I expected. <laughs> there's not what I wanted. Nobody wants this. Nobody wants to birth a child into the world to then help them leave. It's, it's just very hard. Um, but it's also okay. Like it, that's, there's this integrity to her life that I felt like the Dharma supported me to see like, oh, okay, this is how it is. And I when, when I, we stayed in the hospital another day just to have time with her body and, and just to figure out, like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> and um, when we got home, our, daughter, our older daughter, Kaya, was 
uh, four, and she had gotten a Ranger Rick magazine. I might have told this story before too. She got this Ranger Rick magazine, and on the back of the Ranger Rick magazine, it had a profile of a Luna moth. <laughs> this is the profile of the month. And the Luna moth is, um, a, as far as I understand, I don't even, I should go back and look it up. Here's what I remember from looking at the back of that magazine with her that day, was that Luna moths live for a day or so. They don't have mouths. They don't eat. They're just, they're here, they're born, they reproduce, they leave. And there was something about that of like, oh, the world includes this. There's nothing wrong with a Luna moth, you know. And <laughs> I want to bring a big and in. And when people leave, when it feels like it's too soon, it is, it is universally tragic and heartbreaking. And um, it's okay to be heartbroken. In the Genjo Koan, um, there's, al there's also this line, each reflection, no matter how long or short its duration, manifests the vastness of the dewdrop, the vastness of the dewdrop, <laughs> and realizes the limitlessness of the moonlight in the sky. And I, I, I've had various thoughts over the years of getting another tattoo that says <laughs> in honor of my daughter and in honor of like of reality. Dogen isn't particularly, I think, talking about a child who dies, but it totally applies. Yeah. And I think, and it applies for each of our lives in that like each reflection, each particularity, it doesn't matter if it seems small to you, has the whole of everything in it. Another point he says, it is like a palace, it is like a jewel. There's, there's everything and all things, and he says, all things are like this. Although they might look round or square, the other features of oceans and mountains are infinite in variety. Whole worlds are there. And it is, and then he says, it is possible to illustrate this with more analogy, practice, enlightenment, and people are like this. Whole worlds are here. So when we are, um, uh, so so lately there's there's been this question like how do we practice with this world? I mean, actually, that's not lately. <laughs> it's like the whole of Buddhism. <laughs> come to think of it, but you know, I feel like it's come around again in a, with this particular flavor. Of like, is there too much pain? I can't take it. I don't want it. I'd like to check out, please. Stop telling me to pay attention. <clears throat> um, I find this encouragement in, in the Dharma. I find this encouragement in our lineage. I find this encouragement in the Genjo Koan itself. 
Like here is the place, here the way unfolds, right in my particular pain, even if it seems small, even if no one else can see it, right here is the training ground for how I figure out how to respond to the entire world. And if my habit is to skip over my own pain, I won't be able to fully meet and respond to the world. If my habit is to think about my pain, but then be like, well, it's nothing compared to blah, 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 blah. Then I won't be able to meet the pain of the world effectively or with my whole heart. I'll be a little held back because I haven't trained in the local. <laughs> and by local, I mean like ourselves. I also want to offer that as we've been, you know, th this practice engagement of non-duality is our theme this fall. And this feeling of duality is delusion and it's going to lead us in the wrong direction. But then we're now we're trying to encourage everybody. But yeah, but like pay attention to it. <laughs> you know, Buddha's a great realization of delusion. Pay attention, pay attention. That um, one of the things that keeps coming up for me is like, oh, I I get dualistic to usually as a mode of protection. And I want to offer that because I find that really helpful in terms of flavoring my attention with compassion. When I notice I'm being dualistic or separate or oversimplified, you know, right and wrong, good and bad, I've got the answer. Or even when I'm like, I'm not, bleh, you know, enough of that. I'm checking out. I, or I'm, you know, I'm going to, that's wrong. And I know what's wrong. All of it, all that dualistic thing. Like one of the things that we can hold is I'm, oh, I'm protecting myself. So what's that about? What is what's underneath it that I'm protecting? Why do I, why am I trying to oversimplify the world? And for me, that's been this encouragement. Then I, then I like physically soften. Or actually, first I feel the pain. <laughs> like, oh, I'm, I'm clenching, you know? And that's like, uh. And in that softening, I feel this capacity for letting things be complicated that I think is our best bet. I understand the thinking that says, no, 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 we have to get really clear we have to know what's right and wrong, and then we'll be able to fix it. Try it. <laughs> you give that a try. And then but and pay close attention to like what happens. In my experience, when I have that stance, more suffering. It might be more subtle. It just doesn't lead me to a place of liberation. And so what I want to offer for us is that. When we notice, when we notice duality, when we notice like, you know, right and wrong, good and bad, I'm bad, I'm right, I'm good, I'm bad, you know, like this, that stuff, even again, like really locally, I'm good enough, I'm not good enough. The next question we can ask is like, what, what's needing protecting here? What's going on? And then, and then, can I let it, can I soften into things being complicated? More complicated than I can comprehend, actually, even with the super internal. 
And because, because weirdly, I would say for, in my experience from that place, um, there's much more, for lack of a better word, like useful activity. It's just, I think it's easier to be skillful from that place where things are complicated. You know, so there might be this way that that some I could imagine maybe earlier in my life that this pain around this one child's death, I would be like, well, but what about all those other people? And I would skip over my pain without knowing like my particular pain is my way in to loving the world. The last thing I just want to name is that um, I was taught, and I imagine some of you share this conditioning, that to care for the world, I needed to forget about myself. Like, don't don't be selfish. Think about others. And um, wake up. <laughs> Time to wake up right now. Um, this is not, and I don't mean the kind of forgetting that you know, Dogen says, to study the Buddha way is to study the self, to study the self is to forget the self. This is, I don't mean that. I mean forgetting the self in terms of like not attending, not caring for who we are, not noticing our pain. In fact, skipping over our pain and um, diminishing our pain. You know, here's a good story. I have so much, you know, who am I to complain? We're not complaining when we feel our pain. We're being, we're, we're having an appropriate response. We are sensate beings. We're sensitive beings. This world is painful and we're feeling it. And that's relevant and important. So we start here. And, and we really start to understand like we tra- we're training here. And and at the same time, it might there might be moments where it's like, I'm not going to help anybody if I pay attention to my own pain. If I that's quote wallowing, you know. But I want to lift up for us as a community that we pay close attention to our pain, and we and we um, we tend to it carefully, and then we get really good at it actually. Like we don't even apologize to ourselves or to other people. We're just like, oh no, I'm going to take care of this dear person so that I know how to respond to the world. Thank you. May our intention Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.